the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky, Dean. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into Hour 2 of our three-hour tour, um, we're going to take a tour of a different kind with the author of a new book called Booze Cruise, a tour of the world's essential mixed drinks, which ties in beautifully to our uh, kickoff to the holiday weekend uh, July 4th coming up uh, Sunday. But my guest is world traveler and noted drinks writer, Andre Darlington, who joins me by phone. Andre, welcome to the show. Hello, Andre. Well, this happens once in a while where I can't... uh, I can't hear Andre, but if he can hear me, maybe he can disconnect and and call back and and we'll have a better connection. I don't know why that happens sometimes. But anyway, uh, uh, there he goes, disconnecting, so he should be calling back in shortly. But, uh, um, oh, I'll let you know, by the way, while I'm waiting for Andre to call back, that um, we're going to celebrate the 4th on the 5th with a uh, special show (laughs) the show i would have done if fourth of july had fallen on a weekday monday we'll have the uh, fourth of july version of the tom sumner program with some very interesting uh, guests and i think you'll i think you'll enjoy it let's see if we can get andre okay let's see if we can get andre back andre are you there I am. Okay. I don't know why I couldn't hear you. That happens every once in a while. Um, but thank you for uh, picking up on it and, and calling back so we could get reconnected. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I introduced you as world traveler and noted drinks writer, Andre Darlington. And uh, 
Andre, as much as I want to find out about Booze Cruise, a tour of the world's essential mixed drinks, I'm curious how one becomes a world traveler <laughs> and noted drinks writer. It is a strange career path, isn't it? Where, where uh, do you sign that... up for that? <laughs> <laughs> I started as a restaurant reviewer a number of years ago, and I was actually a wine writer for quite a long time, which was good training for going into cocktails. I ended up having a cocktail column, and uh, I, you know, I had a writing partner, my sister. We wrote three books together um, a few years ago, and we pitched a cheese and wine book. And the publisher came back and said, oh, we see that you have a cocktail experience. Would you like to write a cocktail book for us? And I am currently this summer working on cocktail book seven. So it has been <laughs> quite a ride. <laughs> I would think, I, you know, I, I played music uh, as a career for a number of years, not very successfully, but I did travel uh, uh, around the country quite a bit um basically from club to club and so i've yeah. i've been around bars and drinking a lot and i just can't imagine taking a booze cruise and then being able to write about it <laughs> <laughs> so this yeah the book was a quite a big undertaking and also strangely um blessed because uh, I, I ended up uh, going on a full circumnavigation of the globe in late 2019, early 2020. I got back to the United States just as the world was closing um, to this thing called COVID that was coming um, from Wuhan. And in fact, I was in Japan when there was word that there was something going on. And I flew back in uh, into Los Angeles and uh, the whole world closed behind me. So it ended up being a very strange uh, timing, incredible timing. And the book has turned into this sort of this snapshot of uh, what the world was like right before uh, COVID. Now, a lot of these bars around the globe are still open, thankfully. And, um, you know, they're doing well. And they've, they've switched over to to-go cocktails uh, pretty much all over the world. Um, so I'm hopeful that not too much will change once we're allowed to travel again. Well, and you mentioned in the introduction the the timing of this and how that impacted some of the places that were featured in the book and and some of them have closed but is it your expectation because most of these were you know uh sought after destinations that that they will reopen i think so a lot of these places are very healthy um certainly abroad many of them are attached attached to hotels and as that business comes back they sort of have a built-in clientele um, so I think things will do quite well. In fact, in the United States, I'm very hopeful that because everyone uh, stayed at home and they couldn't go to their favorite bar, they were consuming, you know, they were watching YouTube videos and buying books um, to teach themselves how to uh, make cocktails. And I think it will make for a better uh, clientele. And I'm really hopeful that we see a really exciting uh, cocktail boom as people are allowed back in the bars. Yeah, I was just going to ask, uh, to what degree do you think... Um that uh, cocktails and mixed drinks will play a role in the new normal. <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to come back. It's been very, um, I, I've been really amazed and astounded, really, to see these business owners who are all under all kinds of pressure anyway, even without a pandemic, and to watch them pivot, you know, to doing to-go food or a lot of cities allowed to-go cocktails. Um, some of that is ending now as the emergency orders are ending um, around the country. But I do think that, you know, cocktails are 
they're, they really changed in certainly my drinking lifetime, let's say the last 20 years. They really changed from a vehicle to get drunk to uh, something more culinary and more interesting. And cocktail bars became these sort of uh, special gathering places, I think, that are different than beer bars or wine bars or restaurants. Um, and it'll be really exciting to see how they reemerge from this time. Well, you know, craft beers have been all the rage for the last oh, probably decade. Um, and you refer to craft cocktails. What, what, what are craft cocktails? Yeah, the craft cocktails is, is, is slightly nebulous to define, but really it just means paying attention to what's in your glass as you would to your plate. And in the case of cocktails, we're talking, you know, good liquor, uh, certainly attention to ice. Um, I always tell home bartenders, uh, you know, pay attention to your ice. It's one of the main ingredients to your cocktails. If you have ice sitting next to a bag of frozen shrimp in your freezer for months, uh, you know, when you make a cocktail, it's going to have some interesting flavors. So you want to make sure you have fresh ice. Um, you know, back in the day, bars would sort of have these um, uh, barrel ice that was basically the job of barrel ice was to take up as much space in the glass so they didn't have to give you that many ounces of, uh, of beverage. Um, and it really changed, uh, you know, attention to good ice, fresh garnish, and also really fresh citrus. I think back in the day, we all remember uh, sour mixes and how bars basically, you know, they had uh, soda on the gun, a sour mix uh, went in, and then you got your cheap liquor and you got your really bad ice and it was a very large drink. And things really began to change sort of in the late 90s, early 2000s. Let's get these drinks smaller so that they stay at the correct temperature. Let's use good liquor um, and really an attention to t technique and some things that we had lost um, as far back as the 19th century. So it was really an exciting time, and craft really differentiates itself um, in just in terms of quality and care and, and the manufacture of the cocktail. Martinis made a, a big comeback in the last decade. What what was that all about? Yeah, martinis is something are something that the United States keeps going back to, and I think some of it is that they were really at their height really beginning after Prohibition, but really World War II. And we think of sort of the imperial age of America when things were going really well and there was a new generation of businessmen and women, um, sort of the madmen generation. And, you know, the martini is the one cocktail that's so iconic globally that you can go anywhere in the world and you see a neon sign with that glass shape and you know exactly uh, what we're talking about, which is a really fascinating thing. And I think martinis are also the simplicity of them and the ability, i think there's something that people can make at home very easy um a gin martini is typically uh just gin and dry vermouth and whatever ratio people prefer and sometimes some orange bitters and it's something that's simple they even have their own shaker they have their own glass so it's a lot of the pageantry of the drink as well as uh people enjoying the flavor <laughs> i like uh hawkeye pierce uh from mash his recipe yes. for martini was uh um a shot of gin and and um a moment of silence for the vermouth <laughs> yeah a lot of people say that the best way to add vermouth to a martini is to just open the bottle and stick it next to a fan <laughs> <laughs> and i've seen people um take the cork from yes. vermouth and, and wave, rub it, wave it over the top. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, are martinis synonymous with cool? I think they always will be. 
I think there's something about um, they're just a, a very glamorous cocktail, and all cocktails that are made well are glamorous um, to an extent, for sure. Um, there are other ones, you know, uh, frothy drinks. I think of um, you know Ramos Gin Fizz, which uh, has um, you know egg white, so it's kind of frothy, and it's very they're very not difficult. They're they're difficult to make um, at, at home, I think. Um, they're a little bit more advanced than, say, the martini. But I do think the martini will always be synonymous with cool. And I think some of it is that um, it's hard for us to remember now, but there was a time when you could not get ice, you could not get exotic liquors, and you really couldn't get citrus year-round. And so the martini has really um, sort of always been a fancy drink, Um and we just don't think of that anymore because we all have refrigerators and freezers and access to citrus and access um, to liquor now from all over the world. But at one time, this was really an aspirational cocktail. And I think it still has those trappings. And certainly it helps that, you know, we've seen it in movies so many times. So anything that's in the hands of stars and starlets uh, over the years sort of has embedded itself into our psyche. <laughs> How did the idea of giving uh, funny names to drinks show up on the scene? I, I'm thinking just off the top of my head, the Harvey Wallbanger. Yeah, and, and so this is a great question. Um, that's a really fun question, and I think um, part of what makes cocktails so great and why I uh, am so attracted to them is that they really all have a history. Not only are, do the ingredients come from all over the world, so you can really learn some you know, interesting culinary things when you really trace back the liquor that's going into your drink, but then the titles for the cocktails as way back as the beginning, and cocktails really got their start um, before the Civil, American Civil War. They really boomed after the Civil War. But as far as we can go back to the cocktails, they are named after people, so it would have been interesting patrons or famous people that were in the news. Or often, they were named after events. Uh, I'll just give an example of the French 75, which is a fantastic French cocktail, which is gin and lemon juice and bubbly. It's universe, it has universal appeal. It's perfect for this time of year. And that French 75 is the artillery gun that was used to win World War One. And, um, you know, in theory, the drink has the same wallop, uh, so it's named <laughs> that way. The Harvey Wallbanger um, was actually developed by a company, um, by Galliano, which is uh, one of the ingredients of it. Galliano is sort of lemony, but also has a little bit of a licorice aftertaste. It's delicious in cocktails with citrus. And they decided to be hip and cool that they were going to come up with this character named Harvey Wallbanger, who was at, you know, swinging parties. Um, I don't think that cartoon character lasted very long, but it was definitely a marketing attempt, uh, you know, to, to brand, sort of brand Galliano at the time. Um, but the name so, caught on, which is, which is great. Um, Andre, I have yeah. to interrupt here for a moment. Pardon me. Um, I have to take a short break. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we yeah, can talk some more? Yeah, absolutely. My guest is Andre Darlington, who has uh, one of the coolest jobs in the world as world traveler <laughs> and noted drinks writer. <laughs> We're going to talk some more with Andre after we let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing 
it on brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show Folks, you folks are interested or not, but uh, I mean, I'm kind of new in the biz- in this business. There's a possibility you might want to know something that, about me. I used to be in, I, I used I used to be a perfect professional football player. <laughs> I played tight end. <laughs> Come and think of it, I was as tight as standing the whole league. And welcome back, everybody. This is the uh, Tom Sumner Program, and we're talking about a new book called Booze Cruise, A Tour of the World's Essential Mixed Drinks with world traveler and noted drinks writer Andre Darlington, who uh, has joined me uh, this hour by phone. Andre, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Glad, glad to be here. I, I was going to say... Um before when I called in and nobody could hear that uh, I do a lot of radio programs and you have the absolutely best intro. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, now, if I just had a good show behind it, it would be especially <laughs> good. Um, but but one of the things that, that I find really fascinating about uh, about this book, and, and we can make all the jokes about, uh, you know, drinking, we hear it a little little excerpt there from foster brooks one of my favorite yes, uh, love him one of my favorite <laughs> comedy drunks but um but actually what you do is is fascinating because you you break the book up it's almost like a travel it literally is a travel guide um by going to different regions and different cities within those regions and then talking about the cocktails and and you usually have a couple of cocktails one that has historical significance and the other that might be a little bit more contemporary. And I thought the layout of the book is, is really fascinating. Um, do drinks ever go out of fashion? They do. It's, it's interesting. They do. And what's been interesting is that in this sort of craft cocktail boom that we've had in the last 20 years, it's been really great watching bartenders and, you know, there are now cocktail historians, basically. That's also a, an enviable job. Uh, and they have dug up all of these old recipes. And a lot of the stuff that you see at a good cocktail bar in pretty much any city in America, um, many of them had completely been forgotten. I'm talking about cocktails such as the aviation. I don't know if people have seen those, but that was actually a cocktail that was created to commemorate Lindbergh going across the ocean. And it has uh, liqueur in there that makes it sort of a sky blue. That's one that has been very popular. That has gone in and out of um, fashion already in the last 10 or uh, 20 years. Um, but there are a lot of drinks that do go out of fashion for whatever reason. I think uh, another great example is the Cosmopolitan, which we all know um, really came to uh, national consciousness during the when the show Sex and the City was on. 
and it disappeared then for uh, a little while. Not completely. It's you know none of these drinks really disappear completely, but really had fallen you know out of out of you know out out of favor. And since the pandemic, as New York City has reopened, they've sort of reclaimed that cocktail, um, which makes a lot of sense because people are wanting to go out and see their friends, but also remember a time that. Um, is really positive and when New York was really fun. So this summer already we've seen uh, cosmopolitans pop up all over the city. Are there, are, are there drinks that are specific to uh, particular regions and parts of the world? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it was really fascinating going around the world and seeing um, one of the things that I really noted and never would have known, uh, even though, you know, I would go from the United States and fly to one country and fly home and then fly to another country and fly home. And then I did this culminating in this circumnavigation. And it was interesting that after you pass the Middle East, you go through what I call the daiquiri line or the sours line, um, where because of the climate, as you head into the Far East, you get a lot more citrus. And the drinks start to become a lot, uh, not a lot sweeter, but a, a significantly sweeter, I think, um, in, you know, in conjunction with uh, hot climate and uh, spicier foods. Um, so you notice some interesting things globally um, with that. And uh, also bitter cocktails, uh, which really uh, appear now in the United States, you know, we're sort of Negroni crazy these days. Uh, I remember a time when no one in the United States would touch a Negroni. If you put Campari into fr somebody, they would just make a frown face and never come back to your bar. Uh, but these days, it's really uh, popular. And that is, sort of, uh, of course, popular. Um, those types of drinks are popular from the Alps south, uh, basically, into the Mediterranean. Uh, but, uh, you know, some all, all over the world. Um, but also, cocktails really do sort of speak of place, especially in the cities where they really had a hand in creating them, like New York. New Orleans, I think, is a city uh, globally that really ha lays claim to a number of famous cocktails. And then when you have a Well, cocktail, the Hurricane, for one. The Hurricane, for <laughs> one, but also the Sazerac. You know, I think when you have a cocktail that has absinthe in it, pretty much everybody in the world um, who knows a little bit of cocktails says to themselves, aha, this probably has a New Orleans connection. Well... You know, for most of us, um, there are some some obvious connections we make. We, you know, we think of uh, Germany and Ireland when we think of, uh, uh, and and to some degree the UK. We think of beer, and right. and if we think of uh, Russia or Moscow, you know, we have this picture of of a. a um, <laughs> A broke Russian uh, living in some little hovel with a bottle of vodka drinking from the bottle. <laughs> um, yes, which is not always untrue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. I, I know some neighborhoods in the States that would look very similar. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but we, and, and of course we associate tequila with Mexico, um, right. wine with, with Italy, um, but... <clears throat> But there's a lot more to it than that, as you point out in the book. What are some drinks from some places that we wouldn't expect, like like what you just shared about the uh, the daiquiris and, and citrus uh, coming from very arid regions? 
Yeah, I think one of the cities that really surprised me was something like Kiev, which right is behind the Iron Curtain for a long time. We just don't know that much about it in the United States. Um, and I landed in Kiev and found an incredibly advanced uh, cocktail culture there. And this is something that's interesting. Again, you're you know talking about Europe and you think of wine and beer. And what's been interesting is you know Paris and London had um, quite significant. Certainly, London is one of the great cocktail cities of the world. But you find on the continent that they're not as into cocktails historically. They're much more into the liquor that they they pour neat generally, or wine or beer. And it's been interesting to watch cities as diverse as Stockholm or Dublin. Would, you know, you think of Dublin as sort of a Guinness and shot town. Uh, what happened there was young bartenders uh, started bartending in other cities around the world and brought the craft cocktail scene home with them. Um, but, you, but just in the last five years, really, we've seen these kind of traditional drinking cultures really take to the cocktail. But to go back to Kiev, I was really shocked to find um, an incredible uh, cocktail scene functioning at a very high level and not vodka all the time. Um, in fact, they had bottles just like any other city uh, these days, uh, bottles from all over the world. Um, so it was really exciting. It's really an exciting time to drink. I sort of say in the beginning of the book that with a distillery boom and with travel so inexpensive and, you know, the world has just gotten smaller in some ways, it's just never been a better time to drink on, on the planet. <laughs> Well, and, and we certainly aren't wanting for reasons to drink. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. <laughs> True. Um, but I, I was thinking about how decorative some drinks are. You were talking about the martini glass and how it's become almost an icon for a cocktail bar. You right. Know, someplace that serves liquor. Um, but the... Um, yeah, I'm thinking of like the Bloody Mary with with stalks of celery sticking out of a, a tall glass, and um, and and of course, the drinks with umbrellas. Where did the umbrellas come from? <laughs> the umbrellas just come from uh, tourists, pretty much going uh, south of the border um, and wanting. You know, it probably first started appearing in drinks like the pina colada, and then really came back to the United States with the tiki craze. Um, where everything was sort of Polynesian, mixed with Caribbean, mixed with just anywhere outside of the United States that had uh, sun and pineapples, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it was interesting. When I, w I wanted to go around the world, and one of the big reasons was to go to Asia, and all eyes are on Asia in the cocktail world. Um, typically, for, year, you know, for the last almost 50 years, the reigning cocktail cities were New York, London, and Tokyo. And that has started to change a little bit with the rise of Singapore. And Singapore has gone from the last, you know, 10 years ago, they didn't have a cocktail scene at all, to really rivaling the big three. And to get into, um, you know, talk about drinks that just have this, like, showy presence or these sort of showstopper cocktails that are really these experiences, they have really gone to the nth degree there. And you go to a bar and the cocktail will be served in this mysterious box and you open the box, and the box is full of mirrors, and dry ice is coming out, and you have this, like, jewel Alice in Wonderland experience with your cocktail. Um, so I love the pageantry of cocktails. I think it's one of the reasons that people go out for cocktails to sort of get this culinary experience, which also can be um, visually um, exciting. And Asia is really into the, the showiness of, of the cocktails, which I just find really fun. Um, and it's a, it's a great reason to... Uh, 
make your way to the Far East. <laughs> now, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't ask about the origins of Long Island iced tea, and what does that drink say about Long Island? <laughs> I'm not even sure that it, <laughs> it necessarily even uh, appeared on Long Island, which is really funny. And I can't remember the specific story about it, but, you know, Long Island's um, sort of get a bad rap in cocktailing um, because, you know, basically we think of it as you just put everything uh, behind the bar into it. <laughs> and, it's uh, sort of an really urban a, sangria. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think every college student has um, uh, fond memories of, or maybe not so fond memories of Long <laughs> Island. And they were really, you know, they were really uh, created to sort of, um, blow people away in a way but if they're made properly they do taste like iced tea and can be really um dangerous because they're delicious <laughs> well and and that's actually the case with um with a lot of cocktails that may uh taste harmless enough but uh what ab what about the drinks that get set on fire yeah fire drinks are um really fun they're dangerous <laughs> they can be um so, you know, you definitely want to know what you're doing when you do them at home. One of my favorite uh, cocktails, uh, I, I wrote a book for Turner Classic Movies and did a lot of research on movie stars and what they drank. And Dean Martin came up with a cocktail called The Flame of Love, uh, which I think... Of I course right, he did. Of, yeah, which is sort <laughs> of a, um, a brandy drink that then the bartender uh, lights the orange peel. So if you see a bartender squeezing an orange peel and then lighting it, what they're doing is getting those essential oils out of the skin, and those essential oils are flammable. And But they make a really delicious, interesting um, sort of caramel flavor in the cocktail. And so the Flame of Love is this famous drink where you do that three times, um, which sounds excessive, but it really ends up flavoring the drink. Um, but again, and they were really popular with uh, tiki as well, and they've sort of come back. Uh, into fashion, you know, where somebody will take a half of a passion fruit and hollow it out and sort of fill it with uh, fuel, basically, and slide the drink over. Um, <laughs> it looks like sort of a glowing barbecue. <laughs> You've mentioned tiki a couple times, and, you know, of course, I I think of all the all the people who, before the, the age of man cave, uh, put in tiki bars <laughs> in their basements right. in their backyards but what what is tiki yeah tiki was sort of a craze um that was started after world war ii i think it was fueled by americans newfound wealth after the war and desire to sort of look outside the country we had just you know had americans all over the world um, fighting, and it sort of ended up being this um, sort of vacation escapist fantasy. Um, and I think um, that was followed in uh, television and movies, too, where we were suddenly, movies were set in exotic locations, uh, you know, like Tahiti and Japan and uh, China, and, uh, you know, Polynesia, um, sort of, you know, this idea that there, there, there were these um, fantastic islands, um, island paradises. And um, th I, again, it fuels cocktailers' desire to, they love the pageantry of things. So you have sort of a cheeky look, uh, you know, with the skulls and the hula skirts and the glassware that, you know, is shaped in all kinds of interesting things. And the um, umbrellas. And it was really kind of a, <laughs> yeah, it was really kind of a suburban American um, phenomenon where, you know, if you couldn't travel, um, you uh, put up a tiki shack in your backyard. 
Um, and it's a it's a fun impulse for sure. <laughs> Andre, are you the one? And and maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but there there was a, a Turner Classic Movie series that recommended food and drinks to go with certain films. Yeah. That was a book called Movie Night Menus. It came out uh, late 2016. And um, what a fun project uh, that was. We basically uh, were given access to the archives. And the idea was to look uh, through great American films, uh, basically 1930s up until the 80s, and um, look for food and drink in the films and pull food and, and drink from them. For instance, you know, there's the dinner that they have um, in Moonstruck, or, uh, you know, there's a picnic for American in Paris. Um, there's so sometimes there's a specific cocktail um, in the movies that we pull out. And that's just a fun way to sort of participate in the films as you're watching them. Yeah, what was, what was the cocktail that, uh, that Rick and Ilsa had in Paris, uh, uh, in Casablanca, pink, was it pink champagne? It might have been a pink champagne or a, um, a pink gin they have. Um, there is a French 75 mentioned that, which is funny because I talked about that earlier. French 75 is also mentioned in that uh, movie because it was the gun that helped win World War One. This is fascinating. The, the, the new book from Andre uh, Darlington is... Booze Cruise, a tour of the world's essential mixed drinks. Um, how how long did it take to to make this trip and to sample these different things and and put this book together? Well, the short answer is years. I was um, <laughs> I would never have been able to do it um, without having had the other cocktail projects and without having really traveled quite a bit. But when um, it was clear that this was the direction this book was heading and it was going to be kind of, as you mentioned, a little bit as much a travel book as a cocktail book, um, you know, each head note, I try to set the scene for these cities and really get people to, uh, you know, get in their mind what it would be like to drink in Tokyo if they haven't been there or Seoul, Korea or some of these other cities. Um, but the actual trip, I did 11 cities in 60 days, um, which was pretty aggressive. Um, but again, it was kind of great because I got to see these cities semi-simultaneously. You know, I'd been to Paris a couple years earlier, but things changed so quickly in these cities and were changing so quickly, um, certainly 2019 and 2020, um, that it was really great to, to see them live. You know, the background for the book is um, hundreds of emails to people all over the world. I had some really great um, guides. I um, some of the cities that were more complicated, I had people on the ground, you know, that were helping me. So there was really, an, really kind of an army uh, behind the scenes. Um, lots of spreadsheets, um, lots of phone conversations. Um, so it was, you know, lots of Google Maps for each city, trying to find everything. Um, so a lot of work went into went, went into the book, um, and a lot of organ, basically a lot of organization in the book. Um, so it it is glamorous to fly around the world drinking, but it's also a job. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, with uh, with wine, there are these events, these wine tastings, and and cheese is used to sort of cleanse the palate between 
different samples of different kinds of wine so that one isn't affected by the taste of another. Is there a similar practice with mixed drinks? Yeah, there's different techniques that people use. I think um, a lot of a lot of times it, it is right that people, you know, bar snacks tend to be salty or fatty, which really kind of cuts the alcohol and, and can cut the flavor. Um, you know, if you're professionally um, drinking, and I have judged, uh, you know, I've judged uh, like the American Craft Spirits Association and um, things like that, uh, they, the pros basically use something like saltines. Um, so that each, you know, in between each uh, sip, you have something that sort of reestablishes a baseline. Uh, some people use um, coffee beans um, and, and, and things like that. But just generally, you know, some popcorn in between <laughs> sips will help. <laughs> um, oh, and I'm a big fan of popcorn. Um, yeah. Cocktail peanuts work well, I would think. Yes, um, exactly. Andre, what's what's next for you? Are, are you going to do a, a shot bar tour? <laughs> well, great <laughs> enough. Um, I'm working on a follow-up book sort of to this one that will be Global Cocktail Food. So this oh, book cool. has a few recipes in it um, because I really believe that food helps contextualize uh, drinks for people. Um, plus, it's just good to have a little food while you're you know having cocktails. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a global uh, cocktail food book, and that will come out uh, next fall. That'll be interesting because, you know, we have this whole uh, regiment about what wines go with what foods. And right. it'd be interesting to, to see that explored with cocktails. Yeah, there's some great pairings, you know. I think people think of martinis with um seafood, you know, with shrimp cocktail maybe, or um, certainly a Pim's Cup um, was developed um, in uh, conjunction with oysters. Whiskey and brandies go well with steak. Um, so there are some interesting things you can do um, flavor-wise that are, are quite similar to wine pairings. Well, Andre, this has been a lot of fun, and we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work and your drinking. Uh, past, present, and future. Um, all kidding aside, do you have a website where people can uh, explore what you've been I to? do. Yeah, it's just my name, AndreDarlington.com. I have a newsletter uh, that goes out that sends out recipes. I just sent one out that uh, people can see out there um, that has a couple recipes for um, the weekend coming up. And uh, it's, uh, I've got, uh, you know, it's on social media, so you can follow along. And it's just AndreDarlington.com. There's links to uh, also purchase all the books. Well, Andre, it's been a, a real privilege getting to know you a little bit and talking about this. Thanks so much for sharing uh, your, your travels and, and, uh, and, and your drinking. <laughs> with, with, <laughs> Thank with, you so much for having me on. With Fantastic. me and our listeners. And uh, keep up the good work. And, and Thank you. always have a designated driver. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Take care. Again, that was uh, world traveler and noted uh, drinks writer Andre Darlington. The book is Bru uh, Booze Cruise, a tour of the world's essential mixed drinks. And if you're listening to us uh, on WFOV 92.1 LPFM, our voices radio in Flint. 
They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's still lots more of our kickoff to the 4th of July weekend straight ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller someone you don't know your personal information or your money. 
If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I was in the service... Uh, Oh, and I might say that I was in the toughest outfit of them all. I was in the Naval Naval Air Force. Oh. Ever try forcing air through a naval? (laughs) I'll never forget my first day. First day... I see, I went up to the captain, I said, Captain, he said, what? I said, is it all right, sir, if I go downstairs and get something to eat? He said, if you go downstairs. How long have you been in the Navy, sailor? I said, well, six weeks, sir. He said, well, for your information, downstairs on board ship is below deck. And for your further information, that's forward, that's aft, that's starboard, and that's... And if you ever make a stupid mistake like that again, I'll throw you through one of those little round windows over there. (laughs) I was just kidding about that. But I wasn't, I did try to do my best in in the service. I mean, like a lot of you gentlemen here in the audience tonight, same as I, you must have received a, a little card in the Second World War at one time or another from the late President Ro- Roosevelt. says, please come to our war. <laughs> I thought the President of the United States was nice enough to write to me out of me, nice enough to let him look, look me over anyway. And I went down to the indu- induction center. A bunch of us got on a bu- bus. I was living in Chickadillawaga, New York at the time, and it was in the dead of winter, and we got on this bus and went to this big building, an old post office building, bare as all get out, uh, larger than this room, and and, uh, we walk in the room, the first thing is to take take off all your clothes. Well, we all took them off and hung them up on the nail. We were standing around there so cold, no pockets, no place for our hands. And uh, you couldn't help but be reminded of that famous quotation of one of our greatest presidents, all men are created equal. (laughs) I can give him a little argument in that department. They lined all of us up in front of this big, long, cold 
marble bench and said, sit down. Sounded like a bunch of people applauding. I got around to the last doctor and gave him my, my paper, and he looked at it, and he took a big rubber stamp, stamp and he hit down on the paper, and there's a big, big four, and I figured, well, I'm going to be four, four F. So he picked up another stamp, he hit on the paper, and had a big E, e on it, and I said, uh, he said, there you are, son, four, four E. I said, well, excuse me, sir, I know what four F, F stands for, but the E has me confused. He said, the E merely means even. I said, e even? He said, yes. I said, e even what? He said, e even if there's an invasion, don't come. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Flowers 
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. (laughs) 